the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 11 a.m. Or for more information on what we believe, you can go online to OrlandoBibleChurch.com. Now, here's Pastor Letzring. For the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1-9. Welcome to What Sayeth the Scripture, the radio voice of the Orlando Bible Church. I am Pastor Scott Letzring, and with me here in the studio is Yul Largado. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Thank you for having me here today, and thank you, listeners, for listening, uh, for joining with us today. Amen. And just to let uh, David know, we we do have it's like a five three second delay, three second delay in a in a feedback. Just FYI, there. All right, well, friends, we again are grateful and very appreciative of being with you folks this Saturday evening. Uh, this is a live broadcast, which means you can. Uh, again, call in with your Bible questions. All you have to do is call the radio station at 407-682-9595. Again, that number is 407-682-9595. And David, whatever you did, you fixed it. (laughs) And uh, so we encourage you to do so, listeners. If you have a Bible question, give us a call. And as we say now and then, the hard questions go to Yule. Easier questions go to me. No, in all seriousness, we know the Lord has the answers. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates the believer's heart and mind to understand and rightly divide the Word of God. And the Word of God is where the answers are found. And so give us a call if you so desire. Uh, We are a live program, as we mentioned. And with that said, this is a ministry that is, uh, again, of the Orlando Bible Church. If you want to find out more about the Bible Church, we invite you to our church's website, orlandobiblechurch.com. There you can find out our church's address, our service times, our church's phone number. If you want to listen to past ministries from the church, we invite you to two places at the time. Uh, Either find us through Facebook or through our YouTube channel and simply search Orlando Bible Church. You'll, anything else you want to add for our listeners? Uh, for the listeners, uh, I always ask that if you do enjoy the radio, um, please uh, share with other other people, <clears throat> other believers, and maybe others that are not believers that may have questions, and hopefully we can help them answer and make the Bible message and the gospel message clear to them. Amen. That's our desire is to uh, be a tool of the Lord. It's God alone who gives the increase, but we simply want to be His tool. Uh, for his glory. All right, so with that said, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are in our prologue, and as we've seen uh, over the last several weeks, this prologue introduces to us several things. One of the things we've recently been looking at is how the source of all grace and mercy that's available to the child of God on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis is from the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. God the Father and God the Spirit are seen in Revelation 1-4. God the Son is seen in Revelation 1-5. Read 1-5 for us again, please. 
And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. And so we started off when looking at verse 5 as to who Jesus Christ is, according to verse 5. He is called here the faithful witness. He is also called the first begotten of the dead, which means, of course, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus Christ was the very first person to be resurrected unto a resurrected, immortal, glorified body, never to die again. And then the third statement is that he is the prince, which means ruler of the kings of the earth. This does not mean that the Lord Jesus Christ is presently serving in that office as king of kings. That time will be yet future when he, Jesus Christ, returns to this earth and sets up his millennial kingdom, whereby he, Jesus Christ, will take the throne of David, will rule in the city of Jerusalem, and he, indeed at that time, will rule as king. Uh, Also, we looked at what Christ has done for us. Verse 5, the end of verse 5 says, Unto him, referring to Jesus Christ, that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. One thing Christ has done is he's redeemed us. Amen. He has uh, shed his sinless, precious blood for our redemption. He died a substitutionary death on Calvary's cross to purchase our salvation. And so, of course, we know that salvation is a free gift offered to the whole world because the whole world is guilty before God and in need of being born again. Why? Because we all have been born in Adam. And being born in Adam means that we have been born with a sin nature. So we are sinners at birth. Uh, Technically, we are sinners at conception. Uh, We inherit Adam's sin nature. And so that's why we must be born again. John 3 talks about that. Well, Jesus Christ has finished the work. He has paid the price uh, for man's redemption. And that price is paid. The work is accomplished. The work is finished. And so God offers salvation as a free gift to the lost sinner. Uh, again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace, grace means unmerited favor. In other words, salvation is not something we can earn. It's not something we can work for. It's certainly not something we deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith alone and Christ alone is the sole condition of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, that salvation is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so what Christ has done, he has died on the old rugged cross, purchasing our redemption through his uh, shed blood. Praise the Lord. And, of course, we also see something else he's done. And to verse 6, and this is what we started to talk about last week. Verse 6, read that for us, please, Yule. Revelation 1, 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen, indeed. And so we see that Christ has made us kings and priests unto God and and his Father. Now, the fact that he has made us kings, uh, we know that we're not living in the kingdom. We talked about that last week. Um, In between the question we had from, I think it was Lynette last week, uh, I think her question had to do with uh, the term, the only begotten, Son of God, what that means. And so we realize that one day future, the church, which is also in Scripture called the bride 
of Christ will become the wife of the Lamb, Revelation chapter number 19, and we, the body of Christ, the glorified, risen church, will uh, rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, in some capacity, is going to use us even to judge the world, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 states, and to judge angels, 1 Corinthians 6 also states. But we're not presently in that capacity as kings, obviously. And so this verse... Revelation 1.6 is not teaching some type of kingdom now theology or dominion theology that exists in the professing church today. No, contrary to that, it's yet future. But notice how he's also made us priests. And some Greek manuscripts read technically kingdom of priests. But here's the thing, beloved. We have been made priests unto God and his father. And so what does that mean? Now, we know that Jesus Christ is our great high priest, and praise God for that. Let's look at some scripture on that. Let's take our Bibles, and let us turn first to Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. And if you would, you'll read for us, please, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. And so this is the present uh, role of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, of course, 40 days following his bodily resurrection on the first day of the week, Christ ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he is today, Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father upon the Father's throne. And he is serving, Christ is, in the capacity as our great high priest. What a blessing that is. If I were to ask you to have read Hebrews 2, verse 17, I'll read that for you. Just two chapters before, it says the following, Wherefore... In all things it behooved him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be made or to become like unto his brethren, that he, Christ, might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Praise God, as our great high priest, he once for all forever has again offered the sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement uh, to purchase our redemption, our salvation. It's a finished work, praise the Lord. But he's also serving in the capacity of our great high priest, whereby he is presently interceding for us in our behalf, serving as our advocates uh, before the Father. And so that's a blessing. That's a blessed thing. We'll look at a couple of those verses as well. Uh, so let, let's go, though, first to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And we come to another uh, passage concerning the finished work of Christ. And so read, if you would, please, Yule. Hebrews chapter number 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Okay, so that's what he's done as our Savior, as our Lord. In this capacity, 
again, as our great even high priest, he's the payment has been made, the blood has been applied. And, and what a blessing that is. Uh, again, to those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ has been applied to them, thereby they've received the forgiveness of all of their sins, past, present, and future. Flip ahead to chapter 10 of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 10. And so, again, the focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how it says in verse 7, read that one for us, please. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. I love that. The whole volume of the book, the scriptures, is written concerning whom? <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure there, therein, which are offered by the law. Okay, 9 and then 10. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. And verse 11 talks about how every priest, you think of the high priest in the Old Testament times, standeth daily ministering uh, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, and maybe even not just the high priest, but the priest in general, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered what? One sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What a blessing. If we could, let's back up a bit and go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. <clears throat> and we could talk much about uh, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ whose priesthood is not after that of Aaron, but that of Melchizedek. Uh, but look, if you would please, you'll read, if you would please, I should say. Let's see. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 9, chapter verse 24. 9, Yep, and verse 25. Also verse 26. How about that? Hebrews 9. I'm sorry. I said the wrong chapter. Hebrews 7. I meant 7. <laughs> verses 24 through 26. So again, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make the intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Amen. You see that he ever liveth? So though he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, as our great high priest, what is he presently doing for the body of Christ, the church, for you, Christian, for me? Let's personalize this. He ever lives to make intercession for us. How about that? What a blessing that is. And who is this one? He's the high priest. Um, again, he's the holy one, the harmless one, the undefiled one, the separate from sinners one, the one made higher than the heavens. And notice again, verse 27, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he, Christ, did once when he offered up himself. Again, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the world. As John the Baptist said in John one twenty nine, behold, the what? The Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. What a blessing. Let's go to First John. So Christ is our high priest. He ever lives 
to pray in our behalf, to intercede for us. First John chapter 2, we see another aspect of his high priestly ministry. Uh, read, if you would, please, Yule, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands, have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Okay, that was chapter 1. Go to chapter 2, if you would, please. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, child of God, understand that John write, wrote this first epistle to believers. It's an epistle that deals with fellowship, the topic of fellowship, not to see if you really are saved or not, but rather to see if you, Christian, are in fellowship or not. And so with that said, notice what he says to believers, calling them their a familiar title by John. That's right, you little children. These things write unto you that you sin not. Of course, it's not God's will for us to continue in sin. What did Paul say back in Romans 6, 1 <laughs> to believers? He says, shall we, Paul included, included himself, continue. shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's not God's will for our lives. Of course not. But notice this promise, verse 1, chapter 2, 1 John. And if any man sin, speaking of the believer, if a believer sins, we, John includes himself, we have an advocate with the Father, literally to the face of the Father. And who is that? It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Why? Because Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What a blessed high priestly ministry. Because the Bible clearly teaches, even back in chapter 1 of 1 John, speaking of fellowship, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does what? It cleanses us from all sin. Literally, in the Greek, it continually cleanses us from all sin. What a tremendous blessing. But you say, okay, Pastor Scott, you're talking about Christ as the high priest. Is that really what it read in, in Revelation 1.6? No, it didn't. Because Revelation 1.6 is about what Christ has done for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests unto God and his Father. And so what does that mean? Does that mean we're to go to one another and confess sins? No, we're not to do that. Are we to go to the pastor and confess our sins like the Catholic Church does? And you'll, you know this firsthand on a weekly basis, con con uh, confessing their sins to a man they call father, so-and-so. Uh, and is that what the Bible teaches? Of course not. Because who is our advocate? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, what does 1 John 1, 9 mention to the believer about when we do sin and we when we break fellowship with God, what are we to do? Read that for us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And who's the one who's faithful? God alone. God alone through the continually cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that Christ has made us priests? In other words, what does the priesthood of the believer mean? Well, first of all, the question could be asked, what 
is involved in being a priest. Well, a priest, as we consider the Old Testament by way of example, uh, is someone who has access to God. That's true. Now, in this age, in this dispensation, every single believer has complete access, total access to the throne of God. Uh, Let's go to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 You think about the book of Romans, the epistle of Romans, this epistle, this letter that Paul wrote while he, Paul, was in the city of Corinth to a group of believers that were assembling in the city of Rome. By the way, a group of believers that Paul had not yet visited, but was greatly desiring to visit at the time when he wrote the letter. And so in chapter 5, we're kind of jumping right into this epistle, what's what's just what's what he's been talking about he's been talking about the glorious doctrine of justification and in the previous chapters he's already discussed the need of justification and the conclusion is that what all the whole world is guilty before god all have sinned and come short of the glory of god everybody is in need of justification justification is a legal term whereby god declares the sinner righteous what sinner the one who has placed his or her faith trust in the finished work of Christ. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God justifies. It's a legal declaration. And so then, after discussing in the early part of Romans the need of justification, everybody needs it, the whole world is guilty before God because the whole world is born in Adam, right? Then he talks about the way, the sole condition of receiving this justification, and that's faith alone in Christ alone, right? Well, we get to chapter 5, and then Paul begins to identify for the Christian some of the glorious benefits and blessings of justification. And look at one of them, verse 1. Read that one, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the blessings and the privileges of justification is that we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In child of God, that will never change. You say, Pastor Scott, I don't experience the peace of God in my life. Well, I understand that because at times I don't either. But you just said that the fact that I have peace with God never changes. Well, notice the difference in the question. The question is, I don't always experience the peace of God. Whereas verse 1 speaks of the peace with God. Every believer, every child, every person who's truly been born again, a true child of God, by faith alone in Christ alone, they have peace with God. That's a blessed position in Christ. Can't change. Uh, We don't always, though, experience the peace of God. Paul will get into the practical aspect of things as he moves on into the epistle. Um, But something else, another wonderful blessing and privilege that we have as God's children, having been justified through faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 2, what's another privilege? But whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Talks about our standing, but notice it talks about access. What access do we have? Prayer. We can come boldly, you just read it a little bit ago, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, whereby we're to come boldly, we're to come with all words. By the way, boldly doesn't mean we're to order God around. That's, there are those who, t- that's not what the Bible says. Name it, claim it kind of thing. No, we're not God around. We're to come boldly means with all words to the throne of grace. Notice how we have access. 
Christ has now made it possible for us to have access. We now have perfect standing in Christ. We now have access to this throne. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And notice that we rejoice in hope of glory. That's the glory of God. That rejoicing speaks of a future hope. That's the blessed hope, which we know for the church is the rapture. Verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And so notice that verse 3 talks about how we glory. It's the same Greek word that was translated rejoice in verse 2. So we could also understand verse 3 to read, and we rejoice in tribulations also. You say, Paul, what are you talking about? What does he mean we rejoice presently in hardships and, and pressures and tribulations of this life? Why? Well, because we know that tribulation is doing something. It's doing something beneficial. Uh, God is using that tribulation to do something very, very beneficial for our good in our lives as Christians. We know it's for his glory, but it's for our good. Because that tribulation, it what? It works. It produces patience. And then it goes through and lists some other things of how that's how God is working that out. But here's the point. We are looking at this access we now have to the throne of grace. Verse 2 mentions that. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. And so the priesthood of the believer, every child of God is a priest in Christ Jesus today. Can you also say, too, we have direct access because we uh, the Holy Spirit indwells in us once Absolutely. we become a believer? Absolutely. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, even Romans in chapter 8 says, he that hath not the Spirit of God is none of his. Right. And we would not have that. We don't have that relationship with Christ, uh, with God the Father through Christ. And so we don't have that 24-7 access uh, by way of prayer in that sense. Now, that's not to say that an unbeliever that an unbeliever's prayer will never be heard because we have to qualify that statement. Typically speaking, yes, the unbeliever's prayer is not heard. <laughs> but you look at Acts chapter 10, and you see an unbeliever by the name of Cornelius praying. And God heard his prayer. Well, obviously, what was happening? Well, we believe from other doctrinal teachings in Scripture that the Holy Spirit was bringing Cornelius under conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John chapter 16, Jesus tells us that the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, toward the lost, the lost world. And so in doing so, the Lord was drawing Cornelius to Christ. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit was working on Peter's heart. The Lord was working on Peter's heart to prepare him and to eventually send him as his messenger to the very town, the very city that Cornelius lived in, north of Israel, called Caesarea. And Praise the Lord, Peter obeyed the call of God in that particular ministry, and he uh, went, a few Jews, we learn from the book of Acts, went with him, a few believing Jews, and Peter faithfully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cornelius and the many other Gentiles that were, that were uh, assembling in that house. And, of course, they believed the gospel and got saved. So, anyways... I'm always try, I try to be careful not to broad brush it that God never ever hears a prayer of an unbeliever. We have to qualify that with from scripture. But in general that's true. What you're saying you is that yeah, a, a person that has not the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ is not his because he's never been born again. 
right? And so they don't have this access that we're talking about. They don't have this standing before God. They don't have this 24 access where they can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in the time of need. So the a priest, you think about a priest, what do they have? They have access to God. And you think of the high priest of the Old Testament, only one man, right, once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could do, he did so on the Day of Atonement, whereby he first, as we read in Hebrews already, would offer a sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people, the sins of the nation, right? And then God would accept that sacrifice by way of covering, kofers, the Hebrew word. And God's uh, glory, Shekinah glory, would again be... Uh, would shine, I could say, and glow in in the temple and the Holy of Holies. And and so that would be a yearly thing that had to be done over and over again. But as we read in Hebrews, that's now been completed because Christ is the fulfillment of those things. And because of that, we, as God's children, as believers in Christ Jesus, we have access to God. So we don't have to go to a human being on this earth and confess our sins for him to be a mediator between God and us to forgive us. No, that's false teaching. As you already read it in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God is, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we don't have to go through a veil or enter into the Holy of Holies once a year like the Old Testament high priest had to. So not only do we have access to God as believer priests, but we also, beloved, as believer priests, represent God to a lost and dying world. Think about that. And how are we doing in that capacity? Are we properly representing our Lord before others? By the grace of God, are we living out the gospel in our day-to-day lives? Let's take a look at that. Let's go to Philippians, please. Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two, and you, if you would, please read verses 12 through 16. Wherefore, my beloved, as, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh-oh, it says work for your salvation? <laughs> doesn't say that, does it? No, the Bible does not say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the middle tense of our salvation. He's talking about this doctrine of practical sanctification, the living out of the gospel in our day-to-day lives. You see, God wants us not just to have this theology in our head. He wants it to be lived out by way of application. Yes, we must gain true, accurate Knowledge. In fact, we're told in Scripture to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But God doesn't only want us to grow in knowledge. He wants us to apply that knowledge, which is wisdom. He wants us to walk in wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives. Well, how do we accomplish that as Christians? Through our, our self-will, through the power of the flesh? <laughs> no, no, no. But through his power, again, in another passage of Scripture, the Bible speaks of 1 Thessalonians 5, for example, that faithful is he who calleth you who will what? will also do it. And so notice what Paul then says in verse 13. Yes, we as Christians are to work out our salvation with fear and 
trembling. That's godly fear, of course. That's a picture of walking in the Spirit. Verse 13, notice what he says. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You say, Pastor Scott, I know I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I thank God for my eternal security. But you know what? I keep failing. I keep falling short. I keep keep frustrating myself in my day-to-day walk. Can I just encourage you, my dear friend, with a question? Number one, can you save yourself? And you would assuredly answer that, no, I can't. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. I just said that, right? Well, let me ask you this. Can you then live out your salvation in a practical way through your power or through yourself? And the same answer is no, I can't. It's only through God's grace. It's only through his strength. It's only through his power. And notice how Paul mentions that in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So even the desire itself comes from the Lord, and the ability comes from the Lord to do, poeo, to perform, to execute, to accomplish, to do his, God's, good pleasure. Not your pleasure, that's hedonism. When we go and serve and and live for our selfish pleasures, that's nothing but old-fashioned hedonism, the work of the flesh. But when we are actually going about and doing God's pleasure, that's something only the Lord can do in and through us. And so that's why we must, children of God, walk in the Spirit. We must be Spirit-filled. It's not something that we can accomplish in our own strength, in our own power. Now, with that said, we can't just passively sit back and say, okay, it's automatically going to happen. No, it doesn't work that way either. We have to apply ourselves. We have to use our volition, our will, and determine before God. Now, again, we recognize, though, anything that we do that counts for his uh, glory and will remain come at the Bema seat, come uh, the time of the judgment of the believer's works, uh, that remains and reward is given. It's only because of what Christ has done in and through us. It's all of his grace. Anyways, so then we have some practical admonitions here. Verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, you see, the Apostle Paul is addressing this church family, the believers assembling in the city of Philippi. And if they, as a corporate testimony, were bickering and disputing and and so forth, contention after this and contention after that, and murmuring after this and complaining after that, if that was going on in the local church, what kind of lighthouse, remember that word lighthouse, what kind of light would they be to those around them? Not a good one. You see, they would not then, in that case, be working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They would not be true representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as believer priests, we represent God. We are called, in other passages, his ambassador. We are called like here. We're going to see his lights. We're to be a light unto a dark world. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 15. Here we get to it. That ye may be blameless and harmless to the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Wow. There it is. Okay. And then verse 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So one of the, one of the responsibilities of a believer priest in Christ Jesus is that we're to be the proper representative through the power of the Holy Spirit 
of God in this to a lost and dying world. We're to serve as lights to a dark and lost world by God's grace. But you know what, uh, dear Christian, when you think of this concept in Scripture, New Testament Scripture, of the believer priest, uh, you can't overlook this. What did a priest do in the Old Testament? They sacrificed. (laughs) Not only did they serve, we talked about service, but they sacrificed. They sacrificed. And of course, service and sacrifice go hand in hand. And they sacrifice unto God. And they were to sacrifice the right way with the right things. Well, the same is true for the New Testament Christian. We, too, are to offer sacrifices to God. What kind of sacrifices? The same of the Mosaic Law? No. But spiritual sacrifices. You say, I wish the Bible had a lot to say about that. Well, it does. In fact, we don't have to go very far. We can stay in the book of Philippians for a moment. And let's flip over to Philippians. We could actually look at another passage in Philippians. Let's go to chapter 4, just as an example. Philippians chapter 4. And how about this, child of God? Philippians chapter number 4. Notice what the Apostle Paul says to these saints uh, in Philippi. So this church family, who was not a wealthy church family, but yet they did not allow their lack of resources to hinder them from doing what they had been called to do, and that was to uh, give a love gift of some sort to the Apostle Paul. And they didn't do it just one time, but the gift that they received from their uh, church member by the name of Epaphras was delivered to the Apostle Paul. And Paul mentions that there in verse 18. Read that one for us, Yule. 418? 418, Philippians. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you in odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So you see what Paul just said? He said, I've received the love gift, or gifts, because it says things which were sent from you, that which the church family at Philippi, the believers at Philippi, gathered up and sent by way of their messenger Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus faithfully delivered those things to the Apostle Paul. And Paul said back to this church family in divine and in, in inspired writing <laughs> the scriptures, he says, this in the sight of God is what? It's an odor of a sweet smell. It is a sacrifice, acceptable. The word means well-pleasing. And then we in the Greek, we have another synonym that means also well-pleasing. It's a sacrifice, well-pleasing, well-pleasing to God. <laughs> a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. How about that? So child of God, Tomorrow, for example, because when we gather together on the first day of the week, uh, that's when believers uh, share their love gifts that the Lord directs them to give. And notice that when done in the right way, in a spirit-filled way, (laughs) that God considers it a sacrifice that's acceptable and well-pleasing to God. So what is the priesthood of uh, believers, what are the believer priests, I should say, to be doing? We're to be offering up spiritual sacrifices unto God that are well-pleasing and acceptable. Let's go to another passage. Let's go back to Hebrews. Spent a lot of time today in the book of Hebrews. This time we want to go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter number 13. And you'll, if you would, please read for our listeners verses 15 and 16. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so we have a, an example of several different types of spiritual sacrifices just in these two verses. We have that of the praise that comes forth from our lips, the giving of thanks to his name. That's a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. And that's to be done continually, verse 15. And then how about verse 16? We're to do good. That we're going to find is also a spiritual sacrifice. You mean good works in the believer's life is called a spiritual sacrifice? Yes, it is, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. To do good. And to communicate. Now, to communicate is to share. And that speaks of uh, sharing one's own resources uh, for the spiritual needs of others in the body of Christ. That would be our financial giving. Uh, He says, forget not. And then, for with such sacrifices, plural, meaning the doing good and the communicating are spiritual sacrifices, too. We've already seen that the communicating or the the giving of love offerings uh, for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is a spiritual sacrifice. We saw that from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 18, but we see it again reiterated in Hebrews 13, verse 6. And notice again, it says, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Let's go to First Peter now, chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. This concept of the believer priesthood, a kingdom of priests, we, we have for us right here in the epistle that Peter wrote, his first epistle, that he wrote to believers. And notice what he calls the church, the body of Christ. He says in verse 5, what? Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up a spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. There we go. And so there's a very clear verse on this responsibility that we have as uh, believer priests in the body of Christ to offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's what a priest does. He offers sacrifices. And so we are to offer up sacrifices that are acceptable or well-pleasing to God by Jesus Christ. To God there in verse 5 would be God the Father, and it's by or through Jesus Christ. Remember what Christ said to the apostles, the 11 apostles in John chapter 15? He said to those believing men, he said uh, that you can only bear fruit and even much fruit by what? Abiding in me, for without me we can do nothing. So it's through Jesus Christ. It's through the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us. And so notice, though, the phrase, a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood, the priesthood of the saints. No, we don't have to go to a man and some garb to confess all of our sins. And then there we go. We get a clean slate and we can just go on sinning. And next week and go back next Friday or whatever day it was. Is it usually Fridays? I don't even know. Saturday. Saturday. Or Sunday, Sunday. Sunday, okay. And so, no, we as believers, when we do sin, 1 John chapter 2 tells us that we have an advocate with the Father. And who is that? Praise the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. It's his blood that continually cleanses us. But we have a responsibility by way of fellowship, right? We have to confess that sin. Uh, We have to confess it. And, of course, what would precede confession would be repentance. What's repentance? That's a change of mind. Having a change of mind concerning our sin, Mm -hmm. to agree with God that our sin is just that. It's sin, to to name it as sin. That's what confession means, to to say the same thing as God. And then what do we do then when we have come to that change of mind? We confess it. Uh, we 
uh, repentance, I'm sorry, means change of mind. Confession means to agree with or to the name to, to say the same thing as God. So when we've had a change of mind about our sin, we then confess it to God. And the Bible says, as we've said several times today, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so friends, we go back quickly to Revelation chapter 1. And we see just what Christ says there in verse, or what John, I should say, says there in verse 6, for how God, how Jesus Christ specifically hath made us kings, or a kingdom of priests, unto God and his Father, just like Peter stated in 1 Peter 2, 5, a holy priesthood. And notice who the glory goes to, who gets all the credit, who gets all the praise. God does. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, the amen there doesn't end the section of the prologue. We get into verse 7, which we will in a moment. But first, let's take a caller on line one. Is that Lynette? Hello. Hey, Lynette. Welcome to the program. Yes, sir. How you doing? And what, bless you. Lord bless you, too. What, what, how can we help you today, Lynette? Uh, um, what do you describe, what do you describe him? Sacrifice of praise. Oh, what do you mean by sacrifice of praise? Okay. Good question. So, Lynette is calling about something we just said on the program from Hebrews 13 and verse uh, verse 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Let's reread the verse. It says, By him, that's by the Lord, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And then it tells us, Lynette, in the verse, what the sacrifice of praise is. What does it mean? It means it's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So in the context, the sacrifice of praise is to continually give thanks unto God. Okay? Because we know from other scriptures, Lynette, that uh, giving thanks unto God is what we're to be doing. Uh, When you think about that, it's in... I'm trying to think here. I think it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says in verse 18, And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So now that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? To offer up these sacrifices of praise continually, what does that mean? Well, that is to continually give thanks uh, to his holy name. Well, when we line that up, that up with First Thessalonians chapter five, verse number uh, eighteen, it says the same thing in essence. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But Lynette, that would necessitate, would it not, for us to walk in the Spirit? Because when we're we're not walking in the Spirit, but we're walking in the flesh, we're not going to be so thankful for everything, are we? But when we are walking in the Spirit, and only as we walk in the Spirit. Can we in everything give thanks? Does that help? I think she's off. Okay, I think Lynette hung up. Lynette, thank you so much for the call and for the question. Very timely. And so that's in the context what it means there in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Obviously, to do so would be, according to verse 15 and verse 16, specifically of Hebrews 13, it would be a type of sacrifice that's well-pleasing to God. So it's a good check to to keep you humble. Is to always put 
Christ and God first. And Give him thanks. A lot of people will want to pat themselves on the back. Oh, for sure. And it's it's for our good, right? I mean, Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them which are the called according to His purpose. Doesn't mean all things are good, but all things work together for good. And in that sense. We're to give thanks unto our Lord, our Master, our Savior at all times and for all things, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, Lynette, we appreciate the call again. We appreciate the question. I also like to add like those, the the recent passages that you've you've explained. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, uh, just from my experience, a lot of people will go to church and just tune out or. Mm. But those verses that you've read, it it puts the pressure on us as believers as to take ownership in our faith mm. that you do have to walk yeah. as uh, like walk in Christ or else. We make decisions every day, don't we? Exactly. And and we can choose to serve Christ today, each moment of the day, or we can choose not to. Yep. It doesn't just happen. And yeah, you have to take ownership or else the, the relationship is dead. Yeah. That fellowship gets broken. Exactly. And that's what we're, we're to or to continue to grow in that relationship. Uh, Paul said it this way, that I may know him. Now, Paul was a saved man when he said that, of course, in Philippians 3.10. But when he says that I may know him, he's talking about, I want to know more of Christ. Because how could Paul continue to grow into being more and more like Christ, Christ-likeness? The only way any of us can as Christians is by knowing more about our Savior, which is found out through the Word of God and through the faithful, illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And so Paul said there, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Uh, you'll great point. That's exactly right. It doesn't just happen. Uh, we have a personal responsibility, don't we? Yeah. And then when you walk it and you, you're confronted with um, confrontation, yeah. then it gives you more insight to how you, you, need, you really need to navigate Amen. using... Uh, Jesus as your as your guide. <laughs> he show, it shows you right away. It's a it's a uh, instant reminder, right, of how we need him every step of the way. Yeah. Amen. All right, friends. Well, let's go back to Revelation chapter one, and at least we'll make a dent into verse seven. And so, what we have here in verse seven, the prologue continues through to verse eight. And the prologue again is just kind of like the introduction to this book, Revelation. And it kind of sets the stage for the entire book. And that's why you've already seen a couple of things, right? You've seen that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Well, that's going to come up again when he's talking to one of the churches there in Asia Minor. Then he, Christ, is the first begotten of the dead. We've talked about that. But how about verse 5 where it says Jesus Christ is the prince or the ruler of the kings of the earth? Well, once we get to chapter 4 of Revelation and all the way throughout the book, we are moving forward and getting closer and closer to the future return of Jesus Christ to this earth where he, Jesus Christ, is going to rule and reign on his throne in Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In fact, when he comes, his second coming, Revelation 19, one of his many names is that he's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And John records that faithfully there in the vision of the second advent of Christ. Speaking of the second advent of Christ, that's what verse 7 is all about. Verse 7 speaks of the second advent of Christ. Read that for us, please, Yule. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Even so, amen. 
Praise the Lord. And so we we have a verse. Some would say this is the rapture. No, it's not talking about the rapture in verse 7. Because one clear difference from the rapture is the coming that's spoken of in verse 7 is that every eye shall see him. That's not going to be the case at the at any moment imminent return of Christ for the church. Every eye will not see him. But at the second coming, following the future seven-year tribulation period, immediately after the tribulation of those days, as Matthew 24 says, Christ will return. He will return to planet Earth. And that's what is being discussed here in verse 7. And also, and, too, it says uh, that the Earth shall wail because of him. Yeah, yeah we'll <laughs> talk about that in, in the future. Amen. <laughs> And so you say, but he's coming to the clouds. No, it doesn't say that. It says he's coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Let's go to, uh, we have time probably for another verse or two. Let's go to Old Testament Scripture, Daniel chapter 7, because this is a reference. Revelation 1, 7 is a reference to something we find in a vision that Daniel received. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel received this six in the 6th century B.C. Daniel received this during the time of the Babylonian rule of King Belshazzar, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this list of these night visions that Daniel, the prophet of God, received, uh, received from the Lord through this angel, uh, notice what he records for us in Daniel 7, verse number 7. Uh, that's not the right verse. Daniel 7, verse number 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Okay, and then, of course, what is this? Verse 14. And there was the given him... Coming. Sorry. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Exactly. So you say, oh, I'm in the kingdom now, in the spiritual kingdom. No, no, we're not in the kingdom at all. We're in the church age. And right now, Christ is not building his kingdom. Christ is building his church. And that's the clear teaching of scripture. But one day Christ will receive from God the Father... Uh, the keys to the kingdom. In other words, he, Christ, will actually establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, on planet Earth. And that will occur when Jesus Christ returns to this Earth. And that's what Daniel's talking about, the second advent of Christ. You know, we've mentioned this before in part of our introductory study of Revelation. There's 404 verses in the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. 278 of those 404 verses allude to some section, some passage of the Old Testament Scriptures. Here's one example. The verse we just read a moment ago in Revelation 1, verse number 7, is taken from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And so we will uh, talk more about that, Lord willing, next time. We're going to play some godly music for you in just a moment, courtesy of the Herbster Evangelistic Team. But shall we leave you with a verse of encouragement, my dear friends, from Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2. 
it says to the Christians, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God bless you. Join us again next week.
blessed by our time in the Word of God today. We'd like to hear from you. The church is located just east of the Orlando Fashion Square Mall at 4405 East Colonial Drive in Orlando, Florida. The church's phone number is area code 407 894 If you are attending a church that is a member of the National or World Council of Churches or is identified with the New Evangelical Movement, we admonish you to obey the clear command of Scripture and come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord. Join with the Bible-believing church for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. A bigger and stronger voice for God's Word is now here. 50,000 watts. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Uh, and Orlando, where faith comes by hearing. Portions of this broadcast hour are pre-recorded. In Touch is sponsored by In Touch Ministries, Inc. You say, well, I know that I'm in Christ because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But in spite of that, I'm still over here drifting, fighting the same old battles, uh, fighting the same old sins. And every once in a while, I get hung up over here and I get trapped by the same old things. How is it that a man can be in Christ Jesus who's in the Father and all the supernatural power of the Father is released within you and me? Why is it we're still not living the life that wins? Does it feel like your life has more ups and downs than an elevator? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 